From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt, sitting in for Ira Glass. So a couple weeks ago, I was calling principals and teachers to find out what it was like to be in schools. I called Principal Brian Cox in Wyoming. Did he have a minute to talk? Um, I can. Yeah, I've got to be out on bus duty in like 15 minutes. Principal Cox normally does not do bus duty. He also does not normally teach French class because he's a principal and he doesn't know French. He did both the week we spoke because 20 percent of his staff were absent. Omicron. You know, I I told somebody today when we walked in, we had three paraprofessionals down in very key um, special education classrooms. And I told them our goal today is to be a hockey goalie and just keep it out of the net. Two things I learned from calling around to lots of educators over the last few weeks. School is still a mess. That's the first thing. And number two, the situation in schools right now can only be described using metaphor. Um, We're just going to play for eight hours today and try to keep as few of them from getting biased today. And then we'll recoup tonight and figure out how we can recover for tomorrow. Oh, man. This year... (laughs) I'll try not to cry. This year has been hard. (laughs) Amy Galloway, a teacher in Alaska, says, I thought this year was finally going to be normal. This year is not. Like a creaky, creaky bridge that we're trying to get across. The kind of step where you're not going to die, you're going to roll your ankle. A math teacher in New York City. And land with your face in a mud puddle and be like, okay, I could have probably navigated that obstacle a little bit differently. There are not enough teachers. There are not enough school bus drivers. You never know which students will come in person, if at all. Some kids have just disappeared. Enrollment and attendance way down. The metaphor that I would always use is like it's as though you are creating a vehicle. (laughs) Um, You can tell this guy's about to go in really deep, right? English teacher while uh, driving it at the same time Mm -hmm. on a road whose conditions are unclear in terrible weather. Uh, That vehicle, by the way, is a school bus. And not only are there 120 kids there, you're also driving from the back of the bus. (laughs) That's a metaphor that that never ends. Yeah. (laughs) It just compounds. Takeru Nagayoshi, a high school teacher in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Mr. Nagayoshi was Massachusetts Teacher of the Year for 2020. In 2021, he quit his job. Quit his job right after being publicly recognized as the very best. He was at the top of his game, and he walked away, which is a pretty huge reversal. He didn't plan to leave public school teaching. When schools closed and everything went online, Mr. Nagayoshi missed the classroom deeply. He missed all the things you can only do when everyone is in a room together. Uh, The group activities, the collaborative mood board work that my kids do, writing on anchor charts, breaking up into small groups, um, you know, doing practice rounds of public speaking and uh, Socratic seminars and peer writing and taking out your pens so that you can highlight things on your papers and give that feedback and offer commentary to each other's research questions. And there are so many opportunities and magic that I think happens in person. And when I think about learning, it's such a social thing. He was used to feeling inspired every day, energized. But even when they were back in person, Mr. Nagayoshi never got that feeling back. His students didn't get to school on time or regularly at all. And they just weren't focused. They were grieving for people they loved. They were stressed or depressed, juggling lots of responsibilities, or staying up until 4 a.m. playing video games. And they were just out of the habit of doing school. School had been such a regular routine before, for kids, for everyone. Mr. Nagayoshi told me he started to question if what they were doing was really serving kids. He questioned the most basic things about the way school functions, like, Why did the school day have to be so long? All the rigid routines, why do they have to learn in class periods? Why every day? Sometimes I just felt more like a gatekeeper to like archaic ways of learning and convening. I don't know, Hannah. I just feel like the seal has been broken and I don't, and it's hard for me to imagine 
a world to go back to that magic. Um, Whoa. What seal has been broken? What does that mean? The... What is the seal that has been broken? I think our relationship to what school is. It's been two years since school buildings first closed. It's kind of hard to remember how impossible that seemed before it happened. Closing entire school buildings. School seemed like a fact, inevitable. If you're a kid, you go to school five days a week. It's inescapable. But then it wasn't anymore. Buildings closed for months, more than a year. This happened in lots of different ways across the country. It was worse for some, better for others. But talking with teachers and parents and kids, it's clear that school as they left it, March 2020, does not look the same as the school they have now. Classrooms still close, school buses don't come, or teachers are out sick, or there aren't enough teachers. Some districts have just decided kids don't need to come in on Fridays now. In the state of Missouri, one quarter of the school districts have now decided to switch to four days of school a week instead of five. Some kids stopped coming altogether. School had always been this solid object that now seems much less solid. So many of the people I've been speaking with are questioning the very premise of school, whether it's worth it, whether they need to show up every day, whether they need to be in a classroom. It's like everyone involved, kids, parents, drivers, teachers, superintendents, all realized at the same time, hey, this treadmill has an off switch. This place is not fact. School is not inevitable. Just listen to the way Mr. Nagayoshi talks about when school was inevitable, back before the pandemic, just a few years ago. Sure, it was hard and things were never perfect, but it was a different time. Um, and I don't know if we can ever get back to that. I think it's a bygone era. Like p- the way we've done public school for mm-hmm. more than a century? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gone. I I don't I think it is. Is it? Is school as we've known it over? Today, I want to bring you the stories of two kids who have drifted away from school. And we see what happens when they try to make their way back. Stay with us. The last couple months, I've been talking with principals, teachers, parents, and kids about school and what's changed for them two years into a pandemic. And I keep returning to that question, have schools fundamentally changed? One of the people I've been checking in with on and off for a while now is a woman named MJ and her daughter Nia. They're a family of three. MJ's a single parent. Nia is her youngest, and she has an older daughter who's grown. They're mixed race, live in Michigan with a French bulldog. During the pandemic, MJ and Nia constructed a brand new and very unusual life with one another. And seeing how much has changed for them, where they ended up after two years of pandemic school, that, maybe more than anyone else I've spoken with, made me feel like, whoa, maybe school as we once knew it truly is over. So here's Act One. Big Mother is Watching. It begins, of course, when the school is closed two years ago. Oh, my God. You want to talk about stress? Man. What happened? Oh, yeah. It just, like, what do you do? MJ is a building engineer. She had to go to work. She supervises all the maintenance for buildings she works in around Detroit. Make sure the boilers, lighting, carpentry are all attended to. So at first, she just brought Nia to work. It was fun. You know what I mean? She didn't get in my way. Run around while I'm cleaning up, you know, that area that I have to. So, you know, I rode the wave as long as I could. When her boss made it clear that this was not a long-term arrangement, MJ dropped Nia with an aunt, then a friend, a babysitter. A neighbor took her for a week. You know, even if it's just a day, okay, exactly how long can they help? You know, throw them money. How much can you afford? Absolutely nothing, but we'll make it work mm-hmm. anyway. So it's, it's a never, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's exhausting mentally. Exhausting, okay? And it was months. 
MJ had a new thought. Nia was nine years old. She could prepare food herself, get herself dressed. A lot of parents leave kids her age at home alone. But MJ hadn't before. Certainly not all day. And she did not want to now. But she had to go to work. She'd be 10 minutes away. She could come home at lunch to check in. Nia would be on Zoom all day with a teacher from school. A while back, a friend had recommended security cameras when MJ moved into a new house. MJ ordered a couple. Nia stayed home, alone. MJ left, telling herself, I've got the cameras. I can see her um, in different areas of the house. And I have, you know, an, an alarm system that if any window or door is opened, um, it alerts the police and makes really loud noise. And, you know, depending on the area of the house that Nia's in, she knows which what the escape route is and what the emergency plan is. You know, it's not something that I, you know, wanted to do. I wasn't happy to do it, but I can see my kids. You know, like I said, I got a friend behind me. My neighbor crossed, you know, the old lady across the street. Gotta love them, <laughs> you know. When did you first start watching? Uh, r- right away. Oh, really? No, no, right away. Oh, God, yeah, no. My kid's got to be home by herself. I got to keep my eyes on the camera. MJ went to work and propped the phone up next to her all day. If she had to walk, she'd hold the phone in front of her. And she'd watch as Nia ate breakfast, signed on to school. When MJ couldn't have eyes on the phone, she'd put it in her pocket and put headphones in to listen. It's never not been a distraction. I'm always busy, but I have to keep my daughter in my ear because she's home by herself, you know? So it did interfere with work, you know, with what I do. Like, I'm on a ladder trying to change lights, and, you know, I got my phone... Like, I'll set it up somewhere. I'll put, like, the phone in my pocket, put my earphones in so I can at least hear. Uh-huh. And, like, if, you know, uh, something sounds awry, like, if I hear a bang, I'd pull my phone out, look at the camera real quick, but I'm always listening. On a always ladder. Listening. I hate this picture, MJ. Yeah. You're standing on a ladder looking at your phone. Changing a fluorescent light in a hallway. <laughs> and, yeah, and you'll hear, now if you subtract, <laughs> da 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 and, like, you hear the the kids, they're so loud. Yeah, it's, it's bad. It was bad. <laughs> MJ watched as much as she could, listened when she couldn't. She was monitoring to keep Nia safe. But as she watched, MJ started to notice some other things. Oh, <laughs> like I'm very big on eating in my living room. Like I don't like to, I don't like when you eat or drink in my living room. Mm-hmm. And I've caught her so many times eating and drinking in the living room and sitting next to the laptop. Like, and I don't like my dog on the couch all the time because like he likes his paw and it looks the couch. It's just gross. And she'll let him on the couch. MJ told me on the app, you can see everything. And there's a big button right there. Microphone. If you press it, your voice will blast into the room, sounding sort of like a loud walkie-talkie. I asked, so did you use it? Oh, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Tell me. I would just hit my microphone button, and I would catch her watching TV all the time. I'd, like, turn the TV off. What did I say? Getting up, playing with the dog, playing with the cat, back and forth. Like, no. Like, sit sit yourself down and do your work. Nia would get herself a drink. Bring it to the living room. Microphone. Nia, you know you're not supposed to have that by their laptop. You need to go put it in the kitchen. Nia, quit playing with the dog and focus. Turn off the TV. You're not supposed to have the TV on. If you're going to listen to the music, no lyrics. Yeah, just constant redirection and correction. Over and over. What were the ones that you said the most often? All of them. The app apparently can also record. MJ told me, yeah, you can capture moments on there. Or take pictures. Did you do that? Oh, I've recorded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> Just so I can show, go back and show her her, be, her behavior. Like flipping, doing cartwheels. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're doing cartwheels? Okay. Did she ever cover up the cameras? Um, she tried to turn one before, yes. So I couldn't watch her watching TV. Mm-hmm. So she would always definitely feel like <laughs> I was spying on her. <laughs> Stop spying on me. <laughs> It sounds like you were. I mean, was I spying on her or was I making sure she was okay? You know, (laughs) tomato's motto. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hi, Nia. Hello. How are you? Good. Nia told me she jumped the first few times her mom's voice appeared in the room with her. 
Other times, she says it was just confusing. Her teacher was talking and her mom was talking. She felt like, wait, who's telling me to do something right now? A version of this happened as Nia and I talked. MJ was sitting right next to her on the bed, jumping in here and there. Is she the same mom through the cameras? Yeah, sometimes, but (laughs) through the cameras, she's more of a helicopter parent. Make sure you get your chores done before I get home or I'm going to be mad or you're going to be grounded. And I would always want to watch TV, but she's like, no, turn off the TV, turn off the music. You got to focus. No chewing gum. Make sure you're paying attention. She said she'd talk to you about your drinks and the dog a lot, too. Oh, yeah. Are you supposed to drink by the laptop? No. Are you supposed to eat by the laptop? No. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems more different over the camera, actually, because, yeah, much more of a micromanager on the camera than in person. She's micromanaging this conversation. Yes, she is. (laughs) She's doing a good job at it. (laughs) You can tell MJ and Nia like each other. And even with this setup, the cameras watching Nia, they started calling it the system. It didn't strain their relationship. If anything, the system made them closer. When Nia hadn't heard her mom's voice for a while over the cameras, she'd FaceTime her mom, see what she was up to. She started to learn about her mom's day. She learned her habits. Nia told me she got to the point where she could anticipate which things would trigger her mom's voice appearing in the room. Like Nia would turn on the TV, and as she was doing it, I'm like, oh, God, I know she's about to come on the camera. Tell me to focus. Get off the TV. Mm -hmm. That's funny. You would know ahead of time. Yeah, I would know ahead of time. Did it stop you from doing the thing that she didn't want you to do? Um, no. Mm -mm. No, I'm still sassy. I still got some attitude. In in in-person school, in the classroom, this was a problem. Nia loves to talk. She's a chatty kid, and she'd get in trouble for talking in class, distracting other kids, not keeping her hands to herself. MJ worried about it. She would get calls from school saying Nia was acting out today. Nia was suspended. Parent-teacher conferences were often a lot of, Nia's a great kid, but she has a hard time focusing. But now, the space between home and school had collapsed. Instead of hearing about Nia secondhand, MJ was watching. And she says it was kind of amazing. Nia was curious. She was hardworking. She would ask questions. Like if she didn't know, she'd raise her hand because you see her on camera, raise her hand, waiting patiently and quietly. Whereas, you know, Nia, she usually, she interrupts. Let's just be real. Um, Not saying she never interrupted, but like I just, she was raising her hand, waited patiently, asked questions, gave the right answer. And it's like, I don't ever get to see that. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't get to hear the good stuff all the time. That's really kind of special that you got to see her that way. Yeah. Like to see her strengths (laughs) and and what she's capable of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And her weaknesses, you know, I see the distraction. She is easily distracted. You know, it is hard and difficult. Well, it's difficult for her to stay focused, you know, but when she gets in her groove, you know, she stays in it and she just does amazing things. Yeah. I'm glad I got to see this side of my kid that they haven't seen, that I haven't seen. And it's like, this is who she is. I've had that moment like, wow, this is, this is who my kid is. I'd never heard of someone doing this, MJ's system, using security cameras in your house to monitor kids doing remote school while you have to go to work. It seemed extreme to me, but then I considered all the other arrangements and half solutions I've heard parents devising to replace what school provided, a free, dependable place to drop your kids. Parents who brought kids to their jobs at restaurants planted them at a table in the corner while they worked their shift and hoped nobody in management asked, whose kid is that? Moms who put their children in empty hotel rooms to do remote school while they cleaned the other rooms down the hall. Parents who cut back on their hours or quit their jobs, took night shifts so they could stay up all day with their kids doing Zoom school. Families that moved their entire lives to new cities that were cheaper or closer to a grandma who could look after the kids. MJ had a system that did not require her to depend on anyone else. 
The system was never late or stuck in traffic or sick or too tired. It's kind of ingenious. School was not reliable. The system was entirely within her control. Did you know other people who were doing this? No. I mean, if other moms are out there not wanting to say nothing, I get it. But there's not that panic of what so many other parents had to face. They didn't have a system. I feel like I should do like an infomercial or something, you know, for for the for the system of, you know, security cameras and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I made it work. <laughs> I made it work. <laughs> and then schools reopened. After 11 months of constant contact with her mom, zero separation, Nia went back to a school building. I butterflies the entire time I was there. I'm like, oh, my God, what if I do something wrong? What if I get suspended today? I'm like, what if I don't make it through fourth grade? Mm -hmm. Just a whole day of butterflies and... Yeah. Yeah, and like the stamp of a finger, I'm like, oh, crap. My mom's not going to be here to be, um, like, be here to watch over me, tell me to focus. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that without her telling me what to do? And that's when I started getting these like panic attacks like you started getting panic attacks when you went back to school yeah I'm sorry to hear that Mm -hmm. one of them was really bad because I was in a panic attack for about 10-15 minutes because someone like someone made me mad really mad kind of to the point where I started to cry a little bit and then I asked the substitute teacher if I can go to the bathroom And then that's when it happened. I, like, I completely stopped. My heart stopped. My hands were shaking completely. I couldn't even talk. And then, um, thank God this teacher, Miss Murph, let me sit in her room for a little bit, cool down, and go back to my room. You know when you send a preschooler to their first day of school, that first big separation? And it's so hard. But you can never really know exactly what it's like for the kid because they're so little, they can't really articulate it. But here is a fourth grader who can. Nia says she missed knowing where her mom was. She missed her voice in the room. When things happened at school, when a kid said something mean or she didn't understand the teacher, she wanted her mom there to take care of it, to protect her. Like how I said, she was talking a lot on the cameras. Mm Mm-hmm. My life would be easier if she could see every move, everything that would happen and know beforehand and then contact somebody right away. But the world is not like that, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of part of growing up, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. It would still be nice to hear her say, don't do this, don't do that, like it is in movies. Like you mean a narrator in a movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like, my mom would be the narrator of my head, and she'd tell me, make sure you, like, ask questions, get the answers right, don't get distracted. It's kind of what you hope happens with your kid, that your voice gets in their head and helps guide them through difficult stuff. But, you know, a metaphorical voice in the head that eventually becomes their own voice as they develop into their own people. Nia had come to rely on a literal voice and just her mom's presence. Nia heard from her mom so much during the day, through the cameras or on FaceTime. She missed knowing what her mom was up to at any given moment. She says it's actually what she missed most, tracking her mom's day in parallel with her school day. It felt scary to lose that. I wish I could see and watch whatever she's doing. I'd want to see her, how hard she's working or when people just don't give her anything to do. And then just, like, see what she eats for lunch, if she eats lunch or breakfast. Because she doesn't really eat lunch or breakfast because she doesn't get enough time to eat breakfast. You worry about her not eating? I do, because, like, breakfast and lunch are probably the most important meals of the day. So if you could choose, you would like to have her watching you all the time and you watching her all the time? Yeah. MJ, Nia's mother, does not want this. What MJ wanted was to go back to how things were, where she'd drop Nia at school and drive away. Back to the time when school assumed responsibility for her child's safety and well-being. 
But once Nia was back in school, MJ kept waiting for that feeling, the separation between parent life and work life to set in. But it didn't. It felt different. First of all, Nia was at a different school. Right before the pandemic, MJ bought a house, not far, but in a different school district. So that took getting used to. But there were other things. Nia bonded with her new teacher. And then suddenly there was a substitute teacher, then another sub. Students got COVID, teachers got COVID, whole classrooms closed. Nia's favorite teacher, the art teacher, Ms. Gonzalez, quit. The next art teacher, she quit too. One day, MJ went to drop Nia off at the bus stop. It just didn't come. <laughs> it didn't come one morning. Bus never came one morning. You know, there's issues with subs. And I, I mean, I don't really know what their issues are, you know, but it was a sub on, on both days. And, you know, I'm at work. When she went to pick Nia up after school? I, at the end of the day, I'm at the bus stop waiting for the bus. The bus came. She didn't get off the bus. I panicked. What went through your head when she didn't get off the bus? Just, it's instant, like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Just afraid. Like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to look for my daughter in this city. God forbid. The old way of doing school, the pre-pandemic way, felt different. MJ hated not knowing where Nia was. She hated not seeing what was happening in the school building. The separation felt natural before, but now it felt agonizing. Nia would say there were fights at school. MJ wished she could see what happened. There was an incident with Nia, another kid, and a marker. Another time, Nia came home saying a boy touched her butt. And MJ was irate that it happened, but also that she didn't know it was happening, that the school hadn't called right away. Whatever happens, happens. And then when they have all the information, then they want to call you. I want to know right away. Mm-hmm. Constant communication. I don't call it, I don't care if you have to interrupt my day at work. If something is going on with my child, I need to know about it. Like, I'm in the loop. Yeah. Part of what seems like might be happening is that you had this year where you were deeply involved in every single thing Nia did. And you watched, you were literally watching everything. her. Everything. Yeah, and yeah. now you have to trust this school and all these people in this that school. Very and very incompetent. Mm-hmm. And a school system to do what you were doing. Yeah, you know, it's very hard for my daughter to be in a new district, me to not have control, to not see her, but to not be in the loop of things. Yes, that is very hard. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, it's so frustrating. You, uh, Since you are, like, at the end of my workday, I am about to order my lunch. So if you could just give me one second. No problem. So Please. No. Eat. Eat. But I am starving. <laughs> MJ was grasping for a plan, calling the school repeatedly for help, not eating breakfast, as her daughter suspected. I feel like I just want to pull her regardless before I even have a plan. You know, I'm trying to mentally come up with a plan while trying to work full-time and doing all this overtime. I'm trying, but it's like, oh, God, that's her school calling me right now. Oh, I'm go sorry. ahead. Ooh. Call me back. Okay, give me okay. just okay, give me one moment. Okay. No Hello. Hey, MJ, it's Hannah. Hey, how are you? Good. How you been? No, I've been good. I've been real good. This relaxed, breezy person is a mother who has her daughter back at home. In January, MJ pulled Nia from school. The district is offering a virtual option, so Nia is back online. Yeah, no, she, I'm not returning her. So if it's all fifth grade, it's all fifth grade. So you're just kind of like, we're going to sit this whole thing out. Yeah. Um, For how long? That's what I don't know. MJ told me if the school situation did not improve, she'd consider remote school for the rest of Nia's education. This is when I began to wonder if school as we've known it might be over. It's not only that MJ was questioning Nia's school in all these new ways. It's that now she could imagine an alternative. When something ever-present and unquestioned in your life disappears for a year, you learn it's not the only way to do things. And there's no unknowing that. 
Instead of returning to school, MJ and Nia returned to the system. It was exactly the same, except for the school part. Nia is in virtual school again, but this time it's not run by her public school. Nia's school district did what an increasing number of public districts are now doing. They subcontracted a private company to provide an online remote school option. The company provides an online platform and the curriculum. Nia can go on, get all her lessons, all by herself. She's not on Zoom, there's no teacher giving live instruction, and there's no classmates. She does everything alone, independently. I just wake up in the morning, I get my hair done, get my teeth brushed, get dressed. I can do any subject I like if I wanted to. English, learning arts, math, PE, art. Do you miss having teachers? No. <laughs> I know. What if you don't understand the instructions? I can message the teacher because it, it gives me like a little email box. She can email a teacher, but she rarely does. Nia told me she likes that she can pace herself. She structures her own day. Sometimes she starts at 8 a.m., sometimes 9, works for a couple hours, then has lunch, watches Netflix, and just keeps going until she's done. I can just, like, if it takes me all day, I'll do it all day. I would like for it to be done before I get home, though, you know. I always get done. She shouldn't be in school while I'm getting home from work. Mm -hmm. But I'm usually done at, like, 12. Will you go a whole day without talking to anybody else? Yeah. So you can get yourself up at 7 in the morning, do your work yourself, take your break, watch TV, go back to doing your work, finish your schoolwork, and get to the end of the day without talking to anybody. Um, no, because every time I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to call mom, make sure she's okay, <laughs> make sure she got to work safely. She calls me literally every day, mm-hmm. every morning. Is this school? It lacks every element I might have said defines what school is. She doesn't go to a building, there's no teaching, no schedule, no classmates. That's the part I couldn't get over. No kids. The only person Nia talks to all day is her mom. That part worries MJ, that Nia's missing everything about school that mattered most to MJ as a kid. MJ says, school's where I figured out who I was. It's where I learned I'm not the prettiest girl, but the fastest on field day. It's where she learned when to fight, how to apologize. It's where she made her best friends, lifelong friendships, she says, of 26 plus years. She's worried Nia is missing all of that. But Nia sounds pretty settled, like she'd finally arrived. Total peace and quiet is my kind of thing. When Nia takes a break or finishes her online work, she sits on the couch at home and she watches her favorite show on Netflix, Alexa and Katie. It's a wholesome sitcom about two best friends. One gets cancer but survives. And now they're heading to high school for the first time, choosing their first day of school outfits, Will they have the same lunch period? Everyone, get out your school schedules. One, two, three. I'm Alexa, and this is my best friend, Katie. We're about to start high school. Oh my gosh, that's in three days. (laughs) This is what Nia's watching from her dystopian cyber school surveillance state. She's watching school. When Takeru Nagayoshi, the teacher of the year, who we heard from at the beginning of this show, told me pre-pandemic school was a bygone era. I think this is what that looks like. Nia watching school alone in her home with cameras watching her. That's where this story was going to end. But last week, as I was putting it together, I got one more message from MJ. She said she learned Nia had not been submitting assignments in her online school. Turns out a teacherless outsource program with no actual person-to-person interaction did not work. Or at least it didn't work for Nia. MJ was deeply deflated. Her system had failed. And the school system had failed too. She told me she'd decided to send Nia back to school in person. For now. That is, until she figures out what's next. Coming up, a kid who disappeared from school a year and a half ago shows up again and tries to just 
blend in. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio when our program continues. It's This American Life. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt, sitting in for Ira Glass. At the show this year, we've been talking a lot about a feeling we've all noticed around us. A feeling of unraveling. We're doing a couple episodes about people who are facing things that feel like they're coming apart in front of them. Like we did a show a couple weeks ago about cities and towns becoming unlivable with climate change. This episode is also about that feeling a slow-moving unraveling in schools. We are now in the third consecutive school year disrupted by COVID. Disruptions that have, at times, undone even the most basic foundational part of what school is, like the idea that kids go to school every day. Attendance is down. Enrollment is down. I remember back when schools first closed two years ago, there were kids who just disappeared. I saw a report in the fall of 2020 that estimated 3 million kids were out of touch with school. A principal in Los Angeles, Vanessa Garza, told me about one of them, a student they completely lost track of when schools closed in March 2020. And then a month into this school year, I was talking with Principal Garza on the phone, and she says, oh, that girl who disappeared back in spring 2020? Literally yesterday, that student and her family just re-enrolled with us. Just yesterday? Exactly. You know, I'm, I like to come back. And we're like, great. Let's get a copy of your records. Where were you? Uh, what school did you, were you at? So we can request them. And they're like, I didn't go to school. So in the time that the pandemic started and shut down our schools, March 13, 2020, till now, that student hasn't been in school. She never finished sixth grade, missed all of seventh grade, And now, here she was, a month into her eighth grade school year, ready to return. This kid, I'm going to call her Maricela. That's not her real name. Her mom told me I could meet her at school for one of her first days back, which I really wanted to, because I'd always wanted to know, what were kids who were not in school doing all that time? Literally, like, what was she doing with her time? What were her days like for the last year and a half? And what would it be like to come back to school? So that is Act Two, the case of the vanishing sixth grader. Good morning. I'm waiting in the hallway with Principal Vanessa Garza at the Girls Athletic Leadership School, GALS. It's a charter school in Los Angeles, one of those California schools where lots of stuff happens outside next to palm trees. Almost all the students are Latina, some from transnational families that'll travel back and forth to family in Mexico or Central America for holidays. Sometimes students who have just moved to L.A. from those places show up at GALS. But a kid who's been missing for 18 months, that is not common. Principal Vanessa Garza is eagerly scanning the hallway, looking for Maricela. Is she actually going to show? Fingers crossed. It's almost 7.30 right now. (laughs) We turn to see another staff member hustling down the hall toward us, silently waving her arms and mouthing, she's here. She's here? Yay. All right. The second Maricela walked into the building, I felt like, okay, I'm finally going to get my answer. Where has she been? What happened? And what's it like to be back here? But she's kind of like a famous person right now so I had to wait my turn. She enters the hallway to the school and immediately gets sort of trapped between the bathroom, the main office, and her principal, who can barely contain her excitement. Good morning. How are you? Did you get a chance to get breakfast? Maricela's got long, straight black hair parted in the middle, gray leggings, and a red Jansport backpack. She's barely audible, arms at her chest. She looks like she'd very much like to make herself smaller, less visible. But her overeager host keeps offering her things. Do you want to grab something that you can save for later? Because it's just coffee cake. You're good? Okay. Um, You're in Miss Elena's wellness team, right? All right, so let's walk over there and and check in with Miss Elena. And then I'll get you a fresh mask, too. It looks like that one is well-loved, right? (laughs) Maricela does not laugh or react at all. The wellness team, that's the school's version of homeroom. It's down the hall and around the corner. Outside the classroom is Miss Elena, 
a tiny blonde teacher from Wisconsin. Hi, she says. How are you doing? An audible word. Miss Elena guides Maricela into the classroom, saying, did you hear the thunderstorm last night? Silent nod. It was wild, right? Nothing. It's early still. There are only a couple kids in the classroom. Maricela sits, and Miss Elena pulls up right next to her to quietly explain what the homeroom class will be going over today, before a first period starts. She says, just yesterday, they began preparing all the eighth graders for high school applications. Um, have you been able to talk with your mom at all about the high schools that may be good for you, like ones that are nearby or ones that you're interested in going to? So that would be, hey, morning. Um, Kids are trickling in. Maricela's body is slowly forming into a U-shape around the desk. Like maybe she thinks she'll blend in and no one will notice there's anything here but a desk. Meanwhile, Miss Elena opens up a laptop to show Maricela some info on her options for high school. A religious school, a charter school, an LAUSD neighborhood school, meaning like one of the LAUSD schools where you live right around. Nobody acknowledges how strange it is that they're talking about high school, given Maricela has missed most of middle school so far. The last time she was here, she was 11 years old. She's now 13. Sixth to eighth grade. A lot happens between 6th and 8th grade. I keep thinking of the blip, that thing from the Avengers where Thanos snaps his fingers. It's like Maricela blipped middle school. When she left 6th grade, they were covering early Roman civilization. She missed the entire fall of the Roman Empire. That was 7th grade. Medieval Europe, too, and the Renaissance. She also missed geometry, photosynthesis, chemistry. She missed a year and a half of reading and writing. And then, blip. Eighth grade. Time to move on. Time to fill out a Google form on the transition to high school. So I was asking for your name and then go ahead and scroll down. Which color gown do you want to wear at graduation? That's exciting. You get to vote on your gown already. Maricela does not look excited. Apparently, Maricela said she wanted to speak with me. But that was now hard to imagine. She was barely speaking to anyone. I couldn't imagine her feeling comfortable enough to share anything. Do you want to go into, there's like a little office, or do you rather want to sit here? A little office. You want to go in a little office? Okay, let me see if Ms. Vanessa can get it for me. Just give one second. A short, agonizing walk through the hall. Kids watching us. Maricela intently studying the floor tiles. We get to the room. Here we go. Um, You can sit right there. But then, as soon as we were in this room, I barely asked a question. I said, so I talked to your mom. And then Maricela was telling me about her mom. She helps people because she even helped this lady. She was like 21 and she had a dog. She was our neighbor, but then she got kicked out because the dog was biting the walls. I'd make them food. I'm a really good cook, way better than my sister. Did you know I have a sister? I don't have to go to movement class today because I have an injury. I have a note. Do you want to see? I'm scared to play soccer now because we had a leak at the old apartment and I like messed up my knee and there's sometimes where my bone just pops out. I like just fall. My sister doesn't even help me, Maricela says. Did you know I have a sister? Yeah, she's younger, a brother too, but the sister's really annoying. When she doesn't get what she wants, she smacks me. And then when I tell my mom, she says, no, I didn't. And she talks a lot. (laughs) Maricela talks a lot about everything. I had assumed when I saw her in the hallway, there was no way I was going to get her to tell me what happened. Where was she that whole time? Was she just at home? What'd she do? And what happened with school? Okay, so let me ask you about school. Uh, In sixth grade, I went to this school. And then I missed one year of school because I had to go to Mexico. Why? Huh? Because at that time, it was like my grandma and my grandpa were like really sick. And then being over there, we had to take care of all, my grandma, my grandpa, my grandpa's mom. She had COVID in the same house we lived in. She had COVID and she was like sitting down in her bed when she started like hallucinating and then she passed away. After that, my grandpa and my grandma got sick. After Maricela and her siblings had to isolate in a room so they wouldn't get sick too for weeks. My mom's oldest sister had to, like, 
leave the food like outside the doors. So you were just living in a room with your siblings, not able to leave the room, getting food delivered to the door. Yeah. I don't really like it because I don't like to be like locked up. And what did you do all day? Um, we had to stay in the, I had a computer over there, a touchscreen computer. I would play Roblox on there or watch videos or do whatever I wanted to do. And then my sister had her iPad and I had a TV and my brother would use a TV. Screens. And we a lot of screens. Of course. XR. What were millions of missing kids up to when school buildings closed? Playing Roblox. I don't know what I expected. But talking to Maricela and hearing her lay out what happened over those 18 months she was absent from school, it did feel like such an interior, specific view. I'd been thinking about this as a story of a kid who disappeared from school. But of course, that's not Maricela's story about herself. In Maricela's telling, she didn't disappear. School disappeared. So much of our conversation about schools right now, our ideas about what schools need, what needs to happen to help kids catch up, to get back to normal, usually comes from the perspective of teachers, parents, adults. I want you to hear Maricela's version of this, to hear what it's been like for one of the millions of kids during the pandemic who just stopped attending school. All the details that matter to her, the stuff that is at eye level to a kid, Stuff adults don't always think to focus on. It was not a blip for Maricela. It was epic. A lot happened. First, her mom lost her job. Then her grandparents got sick. And while they were in Mexico, they lost their apartment in Los Angeles. The manager said they'd abandoned it. When they came back to Los Angeles, Maricela's aunt said they could stay with her. We all had our schedules. Like, who does this? Who does that? For example, like, um, we would wake up, and we would sleep in the living room. We would pick up, we would vacuum the whole living room. We would have to wash the dishes, um, cook, and then wash those dishes, broom the kitchen, clean the table after we're done eating, and then clean the bathroom if it's dirty. Her cousins, and though, her aunt's kids, Maricela says they hardly did anything. She's the oldest in her family. It's her and a younger brother and sister. So a lot of the chores fell to her. It wasn't fair. And I couldn't tell them anything because they're snitches and they tell their parents everything but what they do. So I would just ignore it. It got tense in the apartment. And sometime in the middle of what would have been Maricela's seventh grade school year, her family moved into their truck. They'd drive to the park she always played at and grab a spot every night. In the daytime, they had a routine. Her younger brother and sister would sleep in the back. They they would wake up like around nine. We would go get breakfast while they were sleeping. Um, we would wake. We would go park at the park again, and then they would wake up. We would fix the seats, and then they would sit down and eat breakfast. And then what would happen? What would you do the rest of the day? And then we would go to my mom's, to my cousin's house, and we would shower there. We had bathrooms at the park. And to brush our teeth, we just brush them like we would go to the bathroom, take a water bottle, toothpaste, and my toothbrush, and we would brush them in there. I talked to Maricela's mom. She confirmed the basics. She lost her job when the pandemic hit, the apartment, they went to Mexico to care for her folks. But she didn't want to do an interview or get into any of this in detail. So I don't know much about where her head was at or what shaped all the different choices she had to make during that time. She wanted to let Maricela share her experience. When they were staying in the truck, Maricela's mom called L.A. Family Housing. A caseworker got them a place in a hotel. That's where they're living now. And then the caseworker asked where Maricela wanted to register for school. I don't know if she asked or if she told her she had to. Gals is 40 minutes in traffic from the hotel. Maybe somewhere closer, she asked. No, Maricela said. She'd prefer to go back to the school she knows. It's funny, when you think about it, that very basic idea that school is where you go as a kid, the thing the rest of life revolves around. It took centuries to establish 
It took laws and social movements and fiery speeches to establish a sprawling compulsory public education system. But it only took a few months, weeks even with Maricela, for that idea to be completely undone. And when it was, when school disappeared from Maricela's life, all the other things, more immediate, huge dramas, came in and filled the space. Her mom lost her job. They lived in the truck. She sold candy in the park. Her cousins were snitches. Her family died. She can talk about all of that for hours. But when I ask Maricela, what about school? She just sort of drifts to some other topic. Not that she doesn't want to talk about it. It almost felt like she didn't remember when the pandemic closed schools. It didn't register. What did you do in sixth grade when schools closed? Um, in sixth grade, when school closed, I didn't finish sixth grade. Why, I would ask, over and over. They closed schools, she'd say. But what about online school? No. Why? I don't know. It was because I, I wasn't in school at that time. Why weren't you in school at that time? Mm, I don't know. Did you want to be in school? Mm, no. Because I, I knew that I couldn't hang out with Valeria. Valeria. Valeria was Marisela's best friend at school. She lived in her building. The vague fog Marisela has when I ask her about school evaporated instantly when the conversation turned to Valeria in sixth grade. No, I met her. Okay, so when she came from Mexico, she would, like, go to my house a lot. We we lived in the same building. And she would go, like, at 6 in the morning, and we would come our, on our way to school together. And we were, like, really close friends that this one time she went locking, knocking at my door, and I opened it, and then we made breakfast together, and then we served everyone. Maricela became so specific when she talked about Valeria. In that kid way where she's living it in real time, where every detail of a story is shared and assigned exactly equal weight. She knocked. I opened the door. We made breakfast. Here's who came. Here's where we sat. Here's what we ate. Like a tortilla, and then you crack an egg on top. And then we sliced like tomatoes and onions, and we put it on the top. She went to her house, and she got clothes. And she showered in my mom's bathroom while I showered in mine. And then from they went out walking, and they ran into Maricela's aunt, who gave her some cash. They went to the store. Maricela snuck to the side and bought something special. They were like little silver um, hearts that come apart, and they said best friends. Like one of those best friend hearts, broken heart. Yeah, but it was like a keychain thing. And we both had it like on our, our, our backpack. And when we came to the school both together... We would, like, we would, like, be, like, so close. And we would hang out with the other girls, but there was, like, always a space with the other girls. But me and her were, like, always, like, next to each other. We were, like, really best friends. Like, and then we would go to the bathroom, and she would wait for me, like, outside the stone, and she would go in, and I would wait for her. (laughs) March 2020, schools closed and upended the lives of millions of families. But, again... That's not what Maricela remembers of this time. March 2020, the day before Maricela went to Mexico, what she remembers is that she had a picnic with Valeria at the Valley Plaza Park. Their families came. They ate pollo loco. That day, it was her birthday. And I had to tell her that we were leaving. But her brother, her brother had a new before her, but we were supposed to surprise her. But when we were singing happy birthday, he told her. And then her eyes got kind of watery. What about you? I wanted to cry. Did you? Yeah. Maricela told Valeria she'd see her soon. But she never did. Valeria's family had been trying to make it work in L.A., but struggled in those early months of the pandemic and decided to move back to Ciudad Juarez. That was the last time they saw each other. How's it feel to walk through the halls now? Okay. 
Knowing what the last year and a half was for Maricela, that it was not a blip, but a long time for a 12-year-old, full of huge experiences, I consider how brave it is what she's doing, returning to this place that disappeared from her life, coming back after losing family members, her apartment, moving between countries, returning without knowing anything about what she's missed, and without Valeria. I was nervous, scared. I was, like, nervous, like, who I would see here. I go to the school, and then I leave, and then I come back, and they just stare at you the whole time. And I get nervous when they stare at me. You get nervous when they stare at you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's, like, weird. What does it feel like? Like, it feels like a bunch of cameras watching me. It does kind of seem like that. I watch as Maricela moves through the rest of her school day. She gets a lot of stares. She looks very nervous and very lost. People were accusing Hamilton of being what's called a monarchist. Remember King George III? In history class, the teacher does a lot of, remember when we learned about blah, blah, blah? Like, who can tell me what we know about the monarchy? Who remembers? The elites. What do we mean by elites? You guys remember? Maricela, of course, does not remember. Okay, so we're going to do quite a bit of reading today. All right. In English class, they read a novel written in verse, and then they have to write a response on an online platform. Maricela can't figure out how to submit her response. She's frustrated, but does not ask for help. Does not know about the monarchy. She does not know how to use the online learning platform. And she does not speak to anyone. She's here. She's finally in the building. But she's still really far away. I felt that deeply watching her in math. They're playing a game. Everyone has to get up and split into two groups. But Maricela doesn't move. She's sitting in the back row, and she stays completely still, backpack propped on her desk, looking panicked as the other kids get up and sort themselves into teams. She's wearing a mic clipped to her shirt. She's too far from anyone else for them to hear what she's saying, but I can. My stomach hurts. The teacher notices that Maricela hasn't moved, And for the first time in hours, someone addresses her directly, tells her, you too, come on. Pick a group, this one or that one? Miss, I can't play. You can play, it's just math. It's just math, the teacher says. But it is clearly not just math to Maricela. I keep waiting for someone to talk to her, to ask her something. What's going on with you? Where were you? What do you need? But school day-to-day school, is not really set up for that. Her teachers will assess where Maricela is academically, and there's an aide in classes that could help her one-on-one sometimes. But mostly, school is like this. This interaction with the math teacher, it lasts 11 seconds. She locks her eyes on Maricela. Maricela shakes her head. And then another kid jumps in front of the teacher, and the room of 25 people moves forward. So... I'm going to give you a question. Whoever answers the question first gets to come up here and write their, either their circle or their X. Okay? School is a machine that is designed to move forward. Kids move class to class, grade to grade. The machine does not stop. It's not designed to go back in time, to meet Maricela where she's at right now, which is at the back of the classroom, hiding behind a backpack, as her classmates enthusiastically compete to solve a math equation. Out of all the awkward moments I saw that day, this one was the hardest to watch. Because you can feel the conveyor belt of school moving forward. I could see Maricela's panic, that she could not figure out how to jump on. And then, I see her try. Right before lunch, Maricela's standing in the hallway, nervously digging through her backpack. Other kids streaming past her to the lunch tables outside. And then, all of a sudden, she calls out to another kid. Araceli. She says, Araceli, look, and opens up her bag. Araceli is a tall, quiet girl in pink who's been moving through the whole day in a pack of three. Three girls, who I'm told, have all recently arrived at the school from Mexico. 
Maricela starts showing Araceli all the candy and snacks and lotion in her backpack. Oh, look, and I have these. And I have, look, and I have these. I have Beth and Body Works chips. No, <laughs> now the three girls are all leaning in over her backpack, giggling and slowly moving through the hall toward lunch up ahead of me. And a sixth grader quickly replaces Maricela at my side, tells me she's been on TV, so I might recognize her. Have you seen a commercial where a dad's fixing a purple Jeep with his daughter? No. Is that uh, you? Yeah. You're the daughter? Yeah. And um, do you know the show Henry Danger? Okay. <laughs> After disappointing this child star, I spot Maricela outside. She's in line for lunch, and she's with Araceli and her friends. They're a nervous-looking pack, looking around like something bad could happen, not really talking. But they're a pack. Maricela seems okay for the first time in the whole day, actually. Excited. Hanging out with Arceli, she's like Valeria. Really? Mm-hmm. They speak the same. It likes the way that they speak sounds the same? Mm-hmm. And they kind of look the same. Really? This seems to me like an effort to jump back on the conveyor belt, that Maricela's trying to replicate what she had here before that mattered to her, trying to make a new school friend who apparently is not dissimilar to her old school friend. Araceli looks like her? Mm-hmm. It was the tall, skinny girl that was with me right now. Do you think you guys will become as close? Um, no, because um, we're already in eighth grade, and then when she leaves, I'm going to feel lonely. But you'd have eighth grade together. Mm. So you don't want to become close to her because after eighth grade, you might not be together anymore? hmm That's why. I get it. She can't go back. They can't be as close because Maricela missed most of middle school, and middle school is almost over. She can't go back to sixth grade math, just like she can't go back to her apartment. And she definitely can't go back to Valeria. Everything is moving forward without her. Maricela watches Valeria online now, becoming a teenager without her. I see her like, I see her stories, and she looks like way different. Really? Like she had like a little bit of freckles here, and then like they disappeared. And she had like, she put a nose piercing on. She's gonna, I think she's gonna turn like 15. What does it feel like to see her looking different? Um, it feels weird. She, like, dresses, like, different. Uh-huh. She would use to, like, wear, like, long sleeve and, like, jeans. And now she, like, wears, like, really ripped jeans. And she, her, like, she wears, like, like crop tops now. Um, actually, um, it's just, like, I miss her. I don't know how schools are going to fit in kids like Maricela. There are so many of them. Not just the millions of kids who have become chronically absent or disappeared entirely, but the tens of millions of kids who fell behind in math and reading. The millions of kids suffering from anxiety, trauma, grief. What happens if they don't fit back in? Maricela's been coming to school for six months now, but she doesn't always come. Her attendance is pretty spotty. Principal Vanessa Garza tells me Maricela is now three grades behind, but she will be promoted to ninth grade. She won't be able to walk at graduation because of the attendance issues. But Ms. Vanessa thinks the shame of being held back would be the end of school for Maricela, and she has a better shot of finishing high school if she can start earning credits toward graduation now. She'll keep moving forward. I asked Maricela if she likes being back in school. She said no but she's gonna keep trying.
program was produced today by me and Bim Adewunmi and edited by Laura Starcheski. The people who put this show together include Elna Baker, Ben Calhoun, Michael Kamite, Andrea Lopez Cruzado, Ira Glass, Seth Lind, Michelle Navarro, Tobin Lowe, Stone Nelson, Catherine Raimondo, Kyla Jones, Nadia Raymond, Christopher Swatala, and Matt Tierney. Our managing editor is Sarah Abdurrahman, senior editor David Kestenbaum, executive editor Emmanuel Berry. Our consulting editor on today's episode is Rachel Lissy. Special thanks to Jennifer Kotke, Jessica Cerruti, Jen Guerra, Kobe Levend and Chalkbeat, Nina Perez at Moms Rising, Joshua Kay, Rebecca Vitali Decola, Michael K. Barber, Selena C.A. Reynolds. And many thanks to all the educators and students who spoke with me, including David Eddy, Olivia DeFalco, Jaden Varghese, Linda Ross, Twina Calhoun, Liz Giacovetti, Crystal Thorpe, Regina Grossman, Teresa Hill, and everyone at GALS, especially Principal Vanessa Garza and Ms. Myra Olivares. Our website is thisamericanlife.org, where you can stream our archive of over 700 episodes for absolutely free. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Thanks, as always, to my boss, Ira Glass. He's out this week because he's trying to branch out from radio and make it onto the U.S. gymnastics team, 2024 Olympics. But I'm a little worried he's making a lot of enemies at the tryouts. (laughs) Oh, you're doing cartwheels? Okay. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Ira will be back next week with more stories of This American Life.